2: This episode of Clear and Vivid with Noah Baumbach is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Discovery.
3: For more than 30 years, Discovery's global networks have been helping hundreds of millions of viewers understand their lives, their communities, and the world around them. From science and nature to food and lifestyle, and now the world's biggest sporting events and greatest names in travel and documentary films. The Discovery family proudly informs, entertains, and powers the passions that drive our planet. If you're anything like me, the holidays bring another opportunity to serve an exciting dish of dry gray meat.
2: <laughs> well, Alan, I
3: think we've found a solution to your cooking woes. Yeah, Food Network Kitchen is a new kind of cooking app that has thousands of live and on-demand cooking classes taught by our favorite Food Network stars cookbook authors, and culinary experts, all from the comfort of our own kitchens. We can even ask the chefs questions during the live classes, questions like, how did my meat get gray like that?
2: You can also save and organize tons of recipes that have been vetted by expert chefs, so you can plan your holiday all in one place. And better yet, you can get groceries delivered for every cooking class and every recipe.
3: Food Network Kitchen is like an extra set of hands in the kitchen. And who can't use an extra set of hands during the holidays?
2: Find Food Network Kitchen in the App Store. Download the app and sign up today.
3: Tired of looking for something new to watch? Sundance Now is the exclusive home to prestige TV dramas and obsession-worthy true crime from around the world no ads, no cable needed. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use the promo code Vivid. Sundance Now. Start something new. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. As soon as I know I'm going to work with somebody,
4: I love to bring them in early, sometimes even while I'm still working on the script, because I feel like the more time we have communicating, it's only going to benefit what happens when we're shooting on the set. And my hope is that, that then, you know, actors will feel when they even first get the script that they're kind of in it already.
3: That's writer-director Noah Baumbach. We got together a little while ago to compare notes on movie making in general and to talk about our experience working together on his latest movie, Marriage Story. I'd had a great time working with Noah, and I was curious about how he would describe his style of relating to actors. This is so much fun for me, Noah, to have you here today on the other end of the microphone. I'm really happy you came in. Thank you. Likewise. I, you know, our show is about communication and relating, and and there's a funny thing that happened on the way over here today. I was in a car, a cab being driven by somebody who was from Russia, and he kept telling me about his life story. And I thought, I've got to get ready to talk to Noah. I've I got to think about this. And I realized he was preparing me for, the, for this conversation because he was telling me about what he learned about this country from our movies before he came over from Russia. That's interesting. Do you think about who's going to see your, your movie?
4: I think about it, just maybe not unlike your cab driver, of, of how I saw movies growing up. What do you mean? That's interesting. Well, that what movies were to me.
3: How they educated you about what the world was like. What were the movies that interested you as a kid? Early on,
4: i I mean, I think like Wizard of Oz and... Um, the Errol Flynn Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah, uh, right. Me too. Um, the, the Errol Flynn, Olivia de Havilland Robin Hood. Yeah. yeah. I really loved that as a kid.
3: Did you make movies as a kid? Did you have a camera that I had a wind up bell and howl and I made little three minute movies.
4: I, it's funny. I used the wind up bell and howl in college. Um, but before that, well, I guess VHS came into play when I was probably about 12 or or at least we got our first vhs player and i uh i got a camcorder um right around that time also so that i started making movies with my friends and uh around the house uh then but it was all on vhs and uh and i didn't have any kind of editing
3: material nor did i even fully know how about, to edit. Th-
4: think about it.
3: <laughs> yeah. But but you were aware of editing from watching, right?
4: I was aware of editing from watching um and I actually would try, I actually took my borrowed my friend's VCR and we edited between the VCR tapes and which also meant pausing and, and going back and forth and in which case <clears throat> Also when I know you remember like the early VCRs when you paused, there was always that rainbow that would kind of wipe the <laughs> yeah, So you'd through have that it. on yeah. every cut. You'd have that on every cut. It was <laughs>
3: <laughs> so I remember reading um something that Spielberg said in an interview that the director's job is to decide where the camera goes and where the cut goes, where the scissors go. Right. Do you think about that? As you write, as you shoot, or do you wait until the end and look at all the footage and say, here's where I'll make a cut? I think about it uh,
4: in the writing and then definitely the most in the prep, so that when I'm shooting, I I have the cuts in mind.
3: Because how you cut it is how you're telling the story. It's how you're communicating with the audience. You're doing something to their brain with every cut. And when you cut as well. I mean, I
4: think— if a cut can mean so many different things a cut can be invisible if we're shooting you and me across this table and we go back and forth and we're talking you know by generally you're going to want to see both of us talking at some point so the idea is to kind of create a kind of seamless uh interchange between us if we were if it was a scene in a movie but if we just stayed on you talking for quite some time and you only heard me off screen or you didn't hear me at all and we are wondering what my reaction is going to be. Suddenly, that cut would have a different impact.
3: Yeah, you, you bring up an interesting point for me. I saw a movie that had Al Pacino in it, and it was it was edited by that famous female editor whose name I can't remember right now. Dee uh, Dee Allen. With I'm pretty sure it was Dee Dee Allen, and and there was a long shot where Al caught up with somebody and they had a couple of lines of dialogue still in the long shot and finally she cut in to to one of them Mm -hmm. and i and i that was a lesson for me because i wanted to see that face when just around the time she cut right she didn't cut until i wanted her to cut
4: right and had she done it earlier that cut wouldn't have meant anything. No, it, it, would,
3: it would. It would. It would be the, her or the director telling me what to look at. I always think about that with inserts. I think in the movie we did together, Marriage Story, which is such a beautiful movie, and I'm so proud to be in it. I don't think you used inserts. Maybe more. Maybe one insert I can remember.
4: Yeah, the the well, because also the the, the when we. A kind of i suppose a featured insert in the movie is when they sign their divorce papers and uh that's another example had we used inserts throughout the movie and you were used to looking at all these screens or or pages or things it it might not have the, impact. have the impact. We yeah. also see it when he's signing a check. He's writing, actually, your character, a check for $25,000. Um, oh, I missed that. I have to see the movie another time. <laughs> <laughs> There's <laughs> an insert there, too. Well,
3: we ought to explain for anybody who doesn't know that an insert is a shot that is very close to a little bit of action or an object that, right. it, that moves the story or explains part of the story. But to me, you know, like an example would be if uh, the sheriff is talking to the villain and the sheriff, you see a tight shot of the sheriff's hand moving his coat back to reveal his gun. Right. Then, then that's an insert. That's a
4: great use of an insert. Uh, for instance, like the psycho uh, shower scene being mm-hmm. like a obviously a kind of maybe iconic uh, example of. A scene. Those are thirty some cuts or
3: hundred yeah, cuts. It's I forget entirely
4: how many. made of edits, uh, yeah. and it's uh, so that your experience watching it is there's this sort of feeling that you're seeing much more than you
3: really are. The interesting thing about that sequence is, unlike most inserts, because it tells a story in a sequence of inserts, it's not like the director is saying, "This is what I want you to look at." He's telling you a whole other story. Right. That's true.
4: I think, yeah, sometimes an insert is purely practical. You know, you have to see the thing that somebody's writing or the thing on the screen. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I find now in the digital age, the... There's nothing more boring than shooting phones and computer screens. It's, it's just such a. <laughs> For a while,
3: it, it was exciting. Oh, yeah. look! The, the The letters are showing up on the screen. I know, <laughs> I know, and, no, and it's a terrible cliche.
4: But sometimes you have to do something like that because it's part of life. It's part of yeah. you know a thing. But then there's the the insert like your sheriff example, or, or Psycho, or uh, where the, the the fact that you're seeing this moment uh it, it, it really does move move the story it's along. storytelling exactly
3: yeah. and in terms of storytelling how much are you aware of what the audience is thinking as you tell the story are you involved in your own understanding of what's coming up from the back of your head more than you're thinking about how it lands on them or wh- which way does it go or both ways
4: i think both ways both are kind of running simultaneously because i'm on one hand i find clarity is such a big it's such an important part of storytelling it's such a important part of visual st- storytelling also is is do we know where we are do you, do, do you know what the room looks like when mm. if we're going to return to this place later are we shooting it from the same angle so that we know it's the same place because mm. it's it's that thing you discover of course when you're you know, when you're shooting on a location or something, you you think, well, we all know what this looks like, so we know that the kitchen's over there, we know the bathroom's over <laughs> yeah, there. But right. you have to remember, what does the audience know? And, um, you know, when I started out, I think I, you know, would find myself sort of assuming that people would know this was the same location, or this was the same characters, and and discovering in the editorial maybe that, oh, I I, I shot it there's no way to know that this is the same Yeah, place. you know,
3: when I was, I was starting out on film as a young actor, the director said to me at one point, this is a geography shot. We'll go from here to over. And I had never heard anything like that before, and I started to <laughs> laugh, a geography shot. I thought we were in a movie. <laughs> 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 sounded like a travelogue. Yeah. But he was establishing in the audience's mind where everything was taking place. And of course, you wanna do that in a way that doesn't maybe feel
4: too uh, expositional. Too much like a geography too shot. Too much like a geography <laughs> shot. And and I've done, I shot, a, I made a movie, Margot at the Wedding, where part of what we did deliberately, we never had establishing shots. The whole thing was to keep you off balance. And it was a kind of perpetual feeling of discovery. Um, and we also did that editorially in that movie. We would cut in and out of scenes often in the middle so that i always felt that the next scene you didn't need reaction shots to like i mean you might have a reaction shot within the scene but you didn't need like to end a scene with a reaction shot to see how somebody was feeling the next scene could answer that for you Mm. um it's all i'm also think about it in the script stage and and rehearsals and is the is is clarity of narrative and you know and in that way i You know, I have the audience very much in mind and that I want them to, you know, to the degree that I think it's important, I want them, you know, to have the bearings I feel they need given that there's going to be complexities and and emotional content that might be, you know, might be more open for interpretation. I think in, in a sense it leaves the stuff that you want maybe to be more open for interpretation. Uh, you know they they know and they know what they need to know. So the stuff that maybe they're discovering or the stuff that they're feeling is can
3: be can be more pleasurable. And yet you do it in a you you provide this clarity in a very and um, almost it seems almost effortless, which is a clue that it's probably not <laughs> in the sense that I don't see your movies full of a lot of. Um, Explaining where we are, how we got here, and that kind of thing—you you understand it in the doing of it. Exposition. Do you do you struggle with exposition to to keep us clear about where we are and what the backstory is without having somebody explain it to us?
4: Well, it, that that is a a challenge, and and often you're hoping it's kind of invisible, but. Uh, but at the same time, it really needs to be in there. Um, I mean, even just basic things. I mean, what the, what we had in *Marriage Story*, uh, which was helpful, was you had uh, both Charlie Nicole, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson's characters um, meeting with lawyers, uh, and by design an interview, like like you're seen with Adam when he's first meeting with you. By design, an interview is people explaining themselves and explaining the situation. Mm. So um, it, that was in, in a way a gift because I could build it into the scenes. I could build both exposition or explanation, but also character and story right. uh, in a way that felt organic to, to the scene itself.
3: There always was a tradition. I remember in movies in the 40s that I grew up on where there would be the best friend to whom everything would be explained. Right, right. <laughs> or the best friend or somebody particularly stupid who needed to have <laughs> the whole thing explained to him.
4: Yeah, I don't think that's changed so much in the movie. <laughs> I, I was watching a movie not long ago where somebody said like, oh, you know how dad is, he's, and then they uh, yeah. said the whole thing, and I thought, wow, you didn't even
3: really try, did you? <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> right. I was in a play once that lasted, I think, one night, Opening night was the same as closing night, I think. And the the exposition was handled by the maid who came in putting props down all around the room. And each prop was a chance for her to explain a different aspect of the leading character's <laughs> personality. And on opening night, the prop man forgot to set out the props. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so the, whole, the whole routine of explaining the guy went out the window because she had no props. So she just looked at us on stage and said, well, I leave you to your own devices. <laughs> <And> she left. <laughs> Noah Baumbach and I continue our conversation after this short break. And when we do, I'm surprised to find out about an important decision he made before the shooting of Marriage Story even began. It was a decision that affects how audiences experience the film, and it was one that I wasn't even aware of. What the exact shape of the screen was going to be.
2: I wish they were a better chef.
3: I need help. I'm a desperate human being.
2: Well, Alan, I think we've found something for you.
3: You said it, Sarah, introducing a new kind of cooking app called Food Network Kitchen. This app has live cooking classes every day and thousands of on-demand cooking classes. You can cook along with your favorite Food Network stars, cookbook authors, and culinary experts. Right on a mobile or smart device from the comfort of your own kitchen. You can even get live support by asking the chef's questions during the live classes.
2: I know, I get overwhelmed by how many recipes are out there. Food Network Kitchen's recipes are vetted by expert chefs, and you can save and organize your favorites. So you can plan for the holidays all in one place. And better yet, with integrated grocery delivery, you can beat the holiday rush by ordering your ingredient list for any cooking class or any recipe. The Food Network Kitchen app really is like an extra set of hands in the kitchen.
3: I certainly need that.
2: So find Food Network Kitchen in the App Store. Download the app and sign up today. And if you need yet another reason to try it, your annual subscription provides up to 100 meals for kids living with hunger through a partnership with No Kid Hungry. For more information, go to turnup.org/meals. That's turnup t u slash u p.org/meals.
3: Need something new to watch? Look no further than SunDance Now, your new home for exclusive prestige TV drama and obsession-worthy true crime series from around the world. No ads, no cable needed. Escape to the lavish Côte d'Azur in the intoxicating TV drama Riviera, a number one hit in the UK starring Julia Stiles. Or fall in love with a vampire in the smash hit A Discovery of Witches, based on the best-selling All Souls trilogy by Deborah Harkness. Is true crime your thing? Uncover the human stories behind some of the most sensationalized crimes in recent history. From the Jonestown Massacre to the infamous Clutter family murders. Sundance Now is available on your computer, tablet, phone, Fire TV, Apple TV, Chromecast, or Roku. No cable needed. To try it for free for 30 days, go to sundancenow.com and use promo code VIVID. Sundance Now. Start something new. Marriage Story is playing in theaters right now, and it's going to be on Netflix starting December 6th. I love this movie. Sarah, you've seen Marriage Story, right?
2: Yeah, we saw it at the New York Film Festival when it first debuted, and it's just incredible. Did did you cry? I did. I did, several times. You know,
3: I've seen it three times, and I, I got choked up again on the third try. I'm, my goal is to watch it without getting choked up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's it's true. It's one of those films where you cry, you laugh, you go through the emotional roller coaster of everything that's in there because Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, uh, as as two people on the screen, are just electrifying. I
3: just love their performances. I learned something acting across the room from them, and I continue to sitting in the audience watching them or now I'll be able to sit on the couch and watch it on Netflix. <laughs> well,
2: you, Ray Liotta, and Laura Dern all have great characters in this, too. I mean, yeah, we all like play lawyers,
3: of different <laughs> kinds of lawyers.
2: <laughs> you get the spectrum of lawyers in this one, and lawsuits. And you had a great interview with Noah Baumbach not too long ago, too, where he talked about the film. And what was it like working with Noah?
3: I loved working with Noah. In fact, everybody in the movie makes a special point of how much fun it is to work with him in his role as a director, And to a great extent, that's because in his role as a writer, he's so good. When you read the script, you realize it's all there in the script. Even things that people come up to me and say, was that moment improvised? No, it looks improvised because it's so natural and is such a reflection of real life. But every moment, every word was written by him over a long period of time, using his own experience as a basis for the script and using the experiences of his friends. That's why it rings so true, I think.
2: Yeah, And listeners of Clear and Vivid, you can go see Marriage Story now in theaters, and if you're a subscriber to Netflix, it comes out on December 6th. So Check it out.
3: Well, I'll be watching.
2: (laughs) I hope so. We'll all be watching everybody at the Academy Awards, too, I think. I bet.
3: This is clear and vivid, and now back to my conversation with Noah Baumbach. Talking about communicating with the audience reminds me of how you handle close-ups. You don't you don't do a lot of close-ups. You, you choose them very carefully, right?
4: Right. In some of my previous movies, I like Greenberg or Francis Hop, being two examples. Where I mean, they're, they're even the title of the movie is the name of the character. You're you kind of have a single character that's kind of bringing you into the story. And part of the story is their emotional journey as well as their physical journey. And in those cases, for some similar and and some different reasons, I felt like particularly there that close-ups should be used sparingly because I thought, you know, these were both characters who were, you know, part of their obstacles are themselves. And which is... Both a you know a human common human challenge for some people um, or all people to some degree, but also I almost related it to like a silent comedy or something like a Buster Keaton movie or Charlie Chaplin movie where these individuals kind of at the fate you know at at, at, you know they're, they're 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 sort of at the the mercy I should say of of you know, it could be a storm. It could be, you know, there's often a big comic set piece that they're, Mm. you know, Charlie Chaplin in the factory and, you know, in modern times or um, in the gold rush with the, you know, the cabin coming off the cliff. And even though I was telling sort of a a different kind of comedy in a a sense, I I often wanted to show the characters in the world. Mm. So Mm. there were a lot of wide shots. I mean, also... Both Ben Stiller who played Greenberg and Greta Gerwig, who plays Francis, they're great comedians and great physical actors. So again, seeing them seeing their bodies, you know, in, in the world. And in, in, in the case of Francis, she plays a dancer, too. So I also often saw scenes, there are dance sequences in the movie, but scenes even when she's not even dancing i thought of her sort of a, perf- a performer or a dancer in the world mm. um with marriage story it it was different because it was it was a two-hander you know two characters in a sense who go on a kind of journey uh i felt the it, the internal life was something that i wanted to document or and so I felt close-ups were going to be very important. Mm. Um, and I even used a different aspect ratio, which is the you know, the frame itself of the
3: movie. I mean the letter box and then the old fashioned square. Yeah, screen.
4: the old, yeah, what they call the academy, which is one three three. Yeah. And the numbers are the sort of the, 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 the ra- ratio the ratio. So the dimensions of the
3: So you change the ratio? What well, do- I
4: have <laughs> shot previously most of my movies are one eight five, which is a, a fairly common aspect ratio for movies I mean so what was um, what
3: was marriage story was
4: one six six so it was a slightly more narrow so on the, sides. this is
3: very interesting this is a real question of you communicating with the audience and they don't even know it right I mean the 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 aspect ratio the shape of the screen tell me how changing the shape of the screen matters what why did it tell the story better well I think it created a sense of
4: portraiture when we were in close up. And oh, also, I see.
3: Um, so that the face would would wouldn't have it, a lot it, of it, space left over on both sides. Yeah,
4: it's it's more narrow on the sides. Um, I think also because of audiences' expectations, we're used to widescreen is particularly right now. I think is used a lot, and one eight five is not widescreen. It's almost sort of like what a TV shape is, or you mm. know, TVs now. It's more rectangular. Are more maybe an audience's sort of expectation for an image, you know, currently. So by n- narrowing it slightly I don't I don't know. I guess I felt like maybe it would kind of focus you in more and, mm-hmm. and, and, and particularly in these close ups, it becomes a kind of mostly invisible way of slightly changing your perspective when you're watching Yeah movie.
3: I love it that it that it it certainly was invisible to me. I had no awareness that you had changed the shape of the screen, and and it probably had some effect on me. How do you know it's having the effect? Is there any way to test the idea?
4: Well, I think I just go more off visually. When we did tests, when we did tests in different aspect ratios, Uh camera tests, um, I loved how the close-ups felt in 166. I felt it just held the face in a really beautiful way. And that was kind of what Robbie Robbie Ryan, who, who shot our movie and i went to was that was that going with that feeling
3: it's it's interesting I'm, especially as a young actor dash filmmaker i used to love to watch m- movies made on small budgets mm-hmm. and see how they solved the problems there was that one movie that was a western made by a director who made the whole movie for Mm $3,000, and he raised the money by being a subject for a drug trial. What movie was that, do you know? (laughs) I think think it was the director Rodriguez. I forget the name Mm -hmm. of the movie. But what I loved— El Mariachi, was that it? I think so, yeah. What I loved about it was almost the whole movie was in close-ups because he lit the movie with two bulbs— he couldn't light a whole room. He didn't have the <laughs> equipment, so you, he told the story in totally, almost totally in close-ups, except when he was outside and he had he had the little <laughs> ambient light and he could shoot larger scenes. It fascinated me how he was able to use the constraint to tell his story through the constraint. I
4: think having limitations in in probably in all art forms but i can speak from my own experience making movies in some ways i think it it, it really can you know up your game i mean you, you you i think in the way you described being a perfect example of it, it it can style can be born out of these limitations that actually you know that that you might otherwise not have otherwise found in yourself i mean i i i um when I made Squid and the Whale, we had, you know, very little money and very little time. Uh, and the, the movie is all handheld. And, you know, part of it from an, you could say, from an aesthetic and and narrative standpoint and emotional standpoint it, you could say oh but it 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 brings a kind of intimacy it feels kind of almost documentary like it you know you're you're kind of in the family hmm. you know family life in a way that you wouldn't be if you were you know right. st- standing back and, and again and, that's under
3: uh, the level of consciousness isn't it right
4: right and that's all true but it actually, given the time constraints we had, it actually was a practical decision as much as anything. Which was, I knew then we could kind of swing around and shoot this side and this side, and yeah. we wouldn't have to kind of stop and turn around. It, we, that it just, it 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 the immediacy actually helped us get more done. And I I kind of discovered a style, you know, based on on the kind of constraints uh, that I right,
3: was right. up against. <laughs> You, When you talk about being on the set, you're reminding me that we've been talking about communicating with the audience. And what I was aware of on the set with you making Marriage Story was how you communicated with the actors. The director has to communicate with so many people. The, yeah. The, the crew, a couple of hundred people often. And when you talk to the crew, do you... Do you talk in terms of the story you're telling, or do you, or do you talk in terms of the effect you want to create? Generally, storytelling.
4: Uh, I, I mean, it's also why I like to, you know, as soon as I know I'm going to work with somebody, I like, I love to bring them in early because, uh, you know, and sometimes even while I'm still working on the script because I, I feel like, the more time we have communicating, it's only going to benefit you know what what happens when we're shooting on the set on the day on the set with you know the light fading or whatever you know all the crazy things we we, we put up with in, yeah, in movie making
3: when they when they know exactly what you what you're doing what why you're doing it then they're collaborators rather than yeah just...
4: and my hope is that that then you know actors will feel when they even first get the script that 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 they're kind of in in it already you know that you know that when they go through their process of learning their lines and you know preparing on their end that it not feel entirely unfamiliar what they've received and the same thing for crew crew members i mean sometimes you just don't know you don't have the luxury of knowing everybody who you're going to be working mm-hmm. with somebody's not available something changes but uh when you do you know for me i think it's 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 of great importance to have everybody kind of know I- as much as possible you know at the earliest possible stage
3: So, as we've been talking to the press, you and I, about the movie, I've Mm -hmm. often praised you for not only not being a a tyrannical director, but being there collaborating and watching the thing develop, watching the the character in the scene develop as a kind of collaborative observer almost, and not having... A secret agenda that you're manipulating the actor into. Now, now, I never heard from you. That was my impression. <laughs> now it's, now it's time to come clean. Was was did I miss it? Were you manipulating? I was manipulating me? you the whole time.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I manipulated you into that thought. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't work that way. I mean, I, I wouldn't know how to work that way. What happens so often while we're shooting. You know, and, and and it certainly happened on Marriage Story and, and in our scenes, you know, your scenes in the movie is, you know, I, you know, I know a certain amount going in. I know I have all my ideas, all the planning for the scene, and everything is, is quite mapped out and thought through and shot listed, and we've rehearsed, and it, all all of that's there. But that's all because I know we're all going to learn so much mm. In the moment, during the course of shooting the sequence, and sometimes it, I find it a funny question. Sometimes, like the you know, the AD might say to me, like, "Do you have it?" You know, mm-hmm. like because you know, I as, like,
3: like are you getting? Did you get what you decided right, you wanted?
4: Right, exactly. And and um, and you know, I tend to do a lot of takes, and I find a lot of the time you'll do something in the scene that gives me an idea a new idea for the scene or a new idea about what the scene could be about.
3: Right. And, which, then, and then my, my impression was some, if that had happened, that you would then explore that for four or five takes and see if it could develop into something even more than either of us had thought of.
4: Absolutely. And, and you know, and in, in a sequence where there are going to be cuts, you know, the, 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 the mediation scene when there's four people in the room together, actually six people, including your associates who are s- sitting behind you, you you might get in those four takes a couple of moments that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise that that mm-hmm. you can include um, you know in 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 the course of the scene that it's going to just sort of en- enrich the whole thing and also the hope is too that from your perspective in f- discovering things you know it, it's going to also give you more too and and I think it's such a pleasure in in our jobs I think is is getting to play with these things i mean i think the for me the 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 thing i'm so clear about when i'm shooting is having the time because if if you don't have the time it puts everybody more in the mindset of did we get it mm. as opposed to have we explored it right you know right. It, it, it satisfactorily or do we all feel like we tried all the things we wanted to try have we all gotten you know, everything from the day so that, you know, we don't all go home, which you inevitably do anyway when you're shooting a movie. You always go home and think, oh, what about, uh, but, you know, at least to minimize that as
3: much as possible. Actors often do that on the way home, play the scene 10 more times with <laughs> different variations.
4: Right, and I'm trying to ho- hopefully minimize that so yeah. that, you know, you but get of course— those
3: variations on film. Yes,
4: yes, Exactly.
3: You have such respect for the acting process. Did I read someplace that you did, you studied improv? Yeah, I
4: did um, improv in college. Um, and, and in those days, I, I there was probably even a part of me thought, well, maybe I would want to be an actor. Uh, I always wanted to write and direct, but maybe I would want to act as well. But I loved improvisation. I liked working that way. It was, it was something... Um, I was talking about improv once with Mike Nichols and who, you know who obviously did it at its, high, its highest level um and he he said he always thought of improv when he was directing actors because he thought when you're when you're improvising you know you're not thinking about like what, what's my character's motivation would I say this how do I say this mm. am I happy sad he said you're just so excited to have thought of the thing you're saying in that moment that you just say it yeah. and he said i always want to try to get actors to that
3: point where
4: they're just saying it
3: and saying it because the other character the other actor makes you say it, absolutely makes you say it in a certain way absolutely and that changes from take to take and the stage it changes from night to night
4: Absolutely. And 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 again, that's why I like to do many of them, because if you find something new, inevitably Adam's gonna find something new. If Adam finds something new, inevitably you're gonna find something new. There 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 can be a take where you feel like you feel it going in a direction, but it didn't quite go there. And then sometimes it's my job to point that out and maybe sort of nudge it in that direction. Other times I can tell you're gonna get to there. So I Uh won't say anything, we just run it again and then you go in that direction.
3: Uh, You know everybody I've talked to Yo-Yo Ma, Itzhak Perlman, Renee Fleming, in that field, the field of music, has the same thing to say about the the performance, the, the moment of performance where you're as prepared as you can be and then you take off and you don't exactly know where you're going to go. But you're going based on what's happening right now in reality. Right now is so much better than... Last night, when you decided how you were going to do it, right?
4: The the, the music, the, the 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 comparison to composers and players um, is, I mean, it's it's a. It's an apt one because it it is the thing. If they have the score, the score is the score. They're playing those notes.
3: And, and yet every performance is a little different. Yeah. Well, our right now includes the idea that we, we have to come to an end of our conversation. No, I, I don't, could, I don't I want could, to stop. I could talk shop with you all day. Me too. We always end our conversations with seven quick questions. And they're, they're, they're not embarrassing. Okay. All right. Okay. What do you wish you really understood? Oh, wow. Well, I
4: was going to say my own mind. But <laughs> <laughs> Nobody said that yet. That's pretty good. But then I was
3: wondering, do I really want to? Um,
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, if you figure it out, let me know. Okay. Number two, how do, you, how do you tell someone they have their facts wrong? How do I tell them? Yeah. Or do you?
4: well that's i mean it, that's where directing actually is not it, it's, a, it's not a dissimilar thing although there's no right or wrong um i would say gently not not presenting it as a as a as a separate right but maybe just introducing the right into the conversation Another hoping way. that maybe they will take a, take the
3: right and 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 Another way to look at it, not necessarily right, but absolute. Right, exactly. Um, (laughs) And it's hard hard to get around that if you know it's a fact. Right. That it kind of is either yes or no. But but, I am,
4: it's actually a good question uh, for me. I often, uh, I I can be very sensitive to somebody, you know, particularly, I mean, it depends on the person too. But mm. if somebody, if you feel like, you know, a a fragile ego or uh, in some way, or uh, I, I, We'll maybe just let them be wrong.
3: You may may be right. The earth may be
4: flat. Right. I'm not going to push it because I feel like it's going to maybe
3: provoke. Right. You don't want to get into a whole other thing. Right. Okay. Here's one. What's the strangest question anyone's ever asked you? (laughs) Well, actually, a question that we get a lot, which is,
4: what is the genesis of this project? Or or how do you write or how do you film i find it strange because i i feel like there's no way to answer it uh but it's so common and i'm i'm always uh taken with how often i'm asked these these kinds of questions that i have absolutely no answer for because i i always think of it, i think of it like conversation it's like you sit down to dinner and you all start talking and if somebody said at the end of the dinner Uh, how did this begin or why did you get on this subject? Nobody knows because it's all been created, you know, it's like improv. It's all just happened on its own.
3: How do you stop a compulsive talker? By pointing out their facts are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll take that. How how do you, you mentioned the dinner parties. You're at a dinner party. How do you start up a real conversation with the person next to you who you've never met before? Yeah, that can
4: be – and that can be treacherous because some of the like the – you know, maybe questions of – that you think are innocuous suddenly are not.
3: (laughs) Um, How did your nose get like that? Right, right. Yeah, you don't (laughs) want to do that one.
4: Um, how do you know the host? Well, right. I guess that's always that's always a, yeah. a good way in, right?
3: Trevor that And that eventually can lead to real conversation. Yeah. Oh here's one. What gives you confidence? That is a good question.
4: Because <laughs> 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 sometimes it's just there, isn't it? You know? Yeah. I mean you just have it. Uh even and 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 it um and we wouldn't do what we do if we didn't have confidence. We need a lot of it. Yeah. I'd say Greta having a great spouse, partner, who when I'm feeling less confident I can bring that to. Uh she's often very helpful in 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 restoring my confidence.
3: That's great. I have that same experience. Not with Greta, with my wife. <laughs> say what, what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd finally tell you right now. <laughs> Show's almost over. Right? <laughs> I'm gonna <Nicole> call Arlene. <laughs> Here, here's the last one. Okay. What book changed your life? Okay, that's good. This is a
4: funny one, but actually it was Bernard Malamud's uh The Natural. I read was like the first book I read I think kind of like that felt like a grown-up book. How old were you? I was pretty young. I think I was like uh like 10. Mm-hmm. Um uh and I we were allowed to pick our own you know, at that point you'd been assigned books, you know, and I'd loved, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, Catcher in the Rye, Great Gatsby, all the books that were, that were part of the school curriculum at that time. Um, But then we were allowed to pick a book and I picked it because it was baseball, but it's really about mythology and about American mythology. It's a book that's just stayed with me my, my whole life. Um, And they made a very good movie of it, but they, they've cha- they changed it in the movie and i like how they changed it as like a, as a separate thing but the book has always stayed with me as a i feel like there's a lot in it about about the world and about ambition and success but also the the american kind of dream and what that really is but i think also it was the book itself but it was also the fact that i was reading something that felt like it was from the adult world mm. when i was still a kid and that i understood it and liked it so much um, you know, it gave me confidence in a way. <laughs> great.
3: Well, you, you answered all the questions twice. Yeah, I know.
4: I found <laughs> I better answers
3: in the next question. Well, I know you like a lot of takes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
4: you so much, No. I really had fun. Me too. Thank you, Alan. This is great.
3: This has been Clear and Vivid, at least I hope so. My thanks to Discovery for being our presenting sponsor this season. All the income from the ads you hear go to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Just by listening to this podcast, you're contributing to the better communication of science. So thank you. For more information about the Alda Center, please visit aldacenter.org. Noah's recent film Marriage Story debuts on Netflix on December 6th. And you want to check out some of Noah's other films like The Squid and the Whale, and also Greenberg and Francis Ha, both of which star his incredibly talented partner, actress and writer and director Greta Gerwig. This episode was produced by Graham Chedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Alison Coston. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Don't forget Marriage Story is playing in theaters now and it'll be on Netflix starting December 6th. Sarah, you did, did you love it as much as I did? I love this movie.
2: It's a great movie. It's actually my favorite movie that I've seen this year uh, and I can't wait to share it with a lot of people when it comes out on Netflix.
3: Netflix, December 6th. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with actor Ben Stiller. Ben had worked with Noah in the movie Greenberg. And Ben and I both had a lot of fun working together as actors on a couple of films, including Flirting with Disaster. When we started that picture, we really didn't know each other except for having seen each other on the screen.
4: There's that moment of like, oh, okay, I'm with this person who I'm used to just watching... And now I'm interacting with them. Yeah. And, you know, it's a bit of it trying to be cool and trying to like...
3: Well, we were both trying to be cool. And the cooler we got, the more it amused us. Yes. And then we got in trouble with the director. That's right. We started to break each other up. (laughs) And I felt like we were getting in trouble for being funny.
4: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, then that's the best, I think, the the best feeling when you're like, feel like you're connecting with an actor like that. That's the best thing. Yeah.
3: Ben Stiller, next time on Clear and Vivid...